I hope that what we talk about today will be an encouragement to you and that it will help you in your life to make important decisions. And I don't often do this, but I want to start out with a disclaimer today. Uh, I don't always like disclaimers, but I think this one is necessary because we're going to get into some touchy areas this afternoon. And, and so I just want to be very clear just at the outset about what this is about and what it's not about. So as we talk about submission today, I want you to know this is not a political talk. Um, we're going to talk about our government and our responsibility toward our government, but this is not a political talk. It's not slanted toward the right. It's not slanted toward the left. I, I don't say this in boasting. I'm just telling you this so you'll understand where I'm coming from. Um, I don't identify myself with right or left or some political brand or party. I don't do that. I'm just telling you that so you'll know nothing is slanted here. This is not about politics. This is not about self-defense. This is not about whether or not a Christian can be in public office. This is not about military service. This is simply about God's will for God's people concerning the area of submission and what he teaches in the New Testament for us to do in regard to submission. So I hope you'll take that disclaimer uh, in the spirit that it's given. I think some of us are going to be stirred today. And uh, if this makes you uncomfortable, understand it made me uncomfortable when I put it together. Uh, I, this is going to be our reading, but don't turn there. And if you've already turned there, I apologize. We're not going to read that until the very end of our lesson. Uh, we will have all the scriptures on the screen for your convenience, except for this one. Uh, we're going to read it toward the end of our lesson today. So I want to just start by talking about the word submit and Really specifically, this phrase that's often translated submit yourselves, which is two English words translated from one Greek word. And you see this Greek word appear in the New Testament 40 times. Now, the word submit yourself is not used 40 times. The Greek word that's translated submit yourself is in the New Testament 40 times. But it always means the same thing. It always has the idea of submission. Sometimes it's translated sub subject or subject yourselves. Uh, you might remember when Jesus sent the apostles out on a limited commission and they came back and they were amazed at the authority that he had given them and they said, even the demons, even, I tried to make demons and devils one word there, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That idea of subject to us they submit themselves to us is the idea that's given there. So that's the idea of submit yourselves. Now, if you see this word up here, the definition in the Strong's is to subordinate. And I want to think about that for just a moment, the idea of subordinate. We understand this probably best in the military and because there's a chain or a hierarchy of authority that presents itself. And Matt can correct me if I'm wrong. But you start out as a private, and there's several classes of private, and there's sergeants and and, and I don't know all the ranks, but there's, there's, there's captains, there's lieutenants, there's majors, depending on what branch you're in. But what happens is they establish that authority for a reason. And if you're below someone in authority, well, you have to obey the rules. You have to be subordinate to them. And if you're not, what are, they, what are you guilty of? In subordination. Here's what it is. You recognize, you fail rather, to recognize your place in the chain of authority. And I want us to think about that in regard to submission. When we think about our responsibility to submit, it's our responsibility to be 
subordinate. You know what? We hate that word. We don't like that word. We don't like submit. We like to uh, throw out that we have the right to do this or the right to do that. And how dare you tell me I can do this or how dare you tell me I can't do that. Because we don't want to submit. We are resistant toward submission. But that's the idea of submission. And I want to just, I'm going to run through these kind of quickly. But just establish that God has placed certain authorities in our life that we must recognize. One of those is parental authority. In Colossians 3.20, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. I think everybody would agree, even though the children may not like it, everyone would agree that parents have authority over their children, and the children are supposed to be subject to the parents. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves. Same Greek word, hupotasso. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. This is not politically correct, but we're not concerned about politically correct. We're concerned about what does the Bible say. There's another area of authority in marriage that we must recognize that was established at the very beginning in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Another area of authority is the elders of the church. Hebrews chapter 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. So both of those ideas being put together, obedience and submission, because they are different in some ways. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Another area of authority that God has placed in our lives to be submissive to the elders of the church. 1 Peter 2.18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, this is one of those areas where people say, well, look, the Bible's promoting slavery. Listen, first off, the Bible doesn't promote slavery. The Bible is actually talking about what is to happen when a Christian is already in a bond-servant relationship and they have someone they owe a debt to and that person is over them. What are they told? Be submissive. This also goes into the area of employee-employer relationships. And what you see a lot in the world today is employees do not want to be subordinate to their employers. You say, well, i got a terrible boss. I don't like him. He's mean. He's hateful. Well, look. Look what he says. Not only to the good, but also to the harsh. Well, that's not fair. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then we got this one that everybody doesn't like. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king is supreme, he goes on to say, or to governors, or those that are sent by them for the punishment of evildoers. And I believe he's talking about local law enforcement. Submit, 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 submit. We see it over and over taught in Scripture. Now, I want to back up for just a moment. I'm going to give you a little bit of a grammar lesson. If, if you've been out of school for a long time and you forgot what this means. You see this word reflexively here in the definition? Reflexively to obey. You say, I don't remember what that means. I didn't either <laughs> until I got to doing this study. And then I was like, oh, of course I knew what that meant. A reflexive pronoun means that the object is also the subject of the sentence. You say, well, now I'm good and confused, okay? Well, you won't be. It's in the word, yourselves. That's the idea of reflexively to obey. And here's what that means. God does not command the husband to subordinate his wife. Nor does he command employers to subordinate their employees. He doesn't tell the elders to subordinate their sheep. And he doesn't tell the governments to subordinate their citizens. He tells the citizens, the wives, 
the sheep, the children to subordinate themselves. We're not placing someone under us. We're placing ourselves under them and recognizing their authority. That's what it means that the subject is also the object of the verb. You subordinate you. This is not about the authority. This is about you. So you can't cry out and say, well, the authority is this or the authority is that. No, it's not about the authority. It's about those that are under the authority. And God recognizes us under those authorities and tells us to subordinate ourselves. Now, do you like that? Me neither. You know why? Because I'm fleshly. And we have egos, don't we? And we have pride. And we've got ideas out in the world that sort of combat against this idea. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But it's hard to submit yourself. Very hard to submit yourself. But it's not just about obedience. It's about how we view ourselves in light of one another. And it's not just about authority. And you might, you might be saying, okay, now you've really lost me. Give me just one moment and I'll show you what I mean. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to, the, to your elders. And I think he is talking about elders of the church here, if you go back in the context. But look at the next part of the verse. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Now, let's just stop right there. We'll read the rest of the verse in a moment. But this, this is where it gets a little confusing. Let's say that uh, Garland and I have a disagreement and tempers flare. And we had never had that happen that I can remember. Except maybe when I was a teenager. That might have happened. But, but I don't remember that happening before. But let's say that it does. And then all of a sudden we stop and we say, okay, well, well who's going to give in here? Who's going to submit? And what are we going to do? Have a discussion about our authority as an elder and an evangelist? Is that what we're going to do? No. You know what we're supposed to do? Submit to one another. Because it's not about authority always. Submission is just about a mindset. What does he say? And be clothed with humility. That's the heart of submission. Being clothed with humility. What, why do you say clothed? What's clothed mean? What do you do with clothes? You put them on. You wear them. And that's what everybody sees. Be clothed with humility. Be a person of humility. Why? Because God resists the proud. And here's the real thing, and I, I know we don't like this, but this is the truth. When we fail to be submissive, this is our problem. This is our problem right here. It's pride. And I don't like that any more than you do, but it's true. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed, listen, by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. That's tough, isn't it? Who designed authority? God. Who ordained authority? God. You may think you're resisting the authority of man. But he says, no, you're resisting the authority of God. Because it's God that designed authority. Now there's another word here that I think will help us really understand what submission is. Because it will help us what, understand what submission is not. 
And it's the word resist. And you notice there's a contrast painted between submission and absist. Uh, uh, well, I'm just throwing words out there all day. Resists. So let's look at the word resist for just a moment. In the strong, it's anti-tosomamai. I, I don't say that right. Tosomahi. The middle of two words is what it is. And guess what one of those words is? It's the word that's translated submit yourselves. But it's the word submit yourselves with the word anti in front of it. So that gives us an idea about what the word is. It's the opposite of submission. To resist. To range oneself against that is to oppose. Now, here's what range oneself against means. You ever seen guys in a, in a boxing ring? And they come out and they ring the bell. And the first thing they come in and do is this. That means to range yourself against. It means I'm about to fight. I'm getting ready to resist. I'm getting ready to, to oppose you. So think about submit versus range oneself against. And let's think about it into regard of what we know. Resist. Y'all remember this? If you studied history and you've, you've looked at the French Revolution, they came up with this saying, Viva la resistance, which means long live the resistance. And here's my fear. My fear is if a movement came up like this, we would want to join that movement because we hear the idea of resistance and we think there's courage in it, there's strength in it, there's power in it. But how many of you would like to join a movement called Viva la Submission? Long live the submission. Doesn't really have a ring to it, does it? But which one of those things do you think God has called us to? See, my problem is Ian sometimes has an identity crisis. And I forget that I belong to God because I think I belong in this world. And I've got certain rights given to me by this world. And there's, there's certain ideas that, have, that I've learned all the way from a very young age that have led me to believe that resistance is courageous. And sometimes it is, and we'll talk about that toward the end of our lesson. But what God wants from His people are to be peacemakers. That's who God's people are. God's people are humble. God's people are submissive to authority. God's people are not looking for a fight, but they're fighting against their own pride and their own desires in humble submission to their creator and their maker. That's who God's called us to be. And I want you to know something about submission. Submission is not agreeance. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Okay. I'll do God's will, but I'm going to do God's will my way. Would that work? You say, well, who on earth does that? Lots of people do that. In fact, we see this in Scripture. Do you remember when King Saul was told to go out and kill the Amalekites? And he was told to kill all of them. Kill every one of them. Kill men, women, children. Kill all their livestock. Destroy the whole nation. And so Saul goes out. And Samuel, the prophet, is told by God, I regret making Saul king. He has not done what I've asked him to do. He's not performed the commandment which I've given him to do. And so Samuel goes to Saul to tell Saul that he's been rejected as king. And Saul looks over and he sees Samuel. And what does he say to him? 
Blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now I want you to think about this. God said he has not performed the commandments I gave him to do. Saul said, I did exactly what God told me to do. And so Samuel asked a very logical question. Then why do I hear sheep bleeding and the oxen lowing? Oh, about that. Well, you know, and he made all these excuses about why he didn't do what God said and why he did God's will, but it was better to do it his way. You know when that really gets in your face? Think about your kids coming into you and saying, Mom, I'm just, I've decided I'm, from now on I'm going to submit to you and be obedient. You would be thinking, thank you, Lord, if I agree with you. I will submit to you if I agree with you. How's that work? See, we like that idea if it's about the government. I'll submit myself to the government if I agree with them. If it's this president or that president or this senator or that senator, Republican, Democrat, if it's one of those, then we make our decision. But I'll tell you something, that's not submission, is it? And if it's submission then, then it's submission when your kids come in and they say, I will submit when I agree. Or your wife comes in and says, I'll submit when I agree. My wife doesn't agree with me half the time. How does that work? It doesn't because that's not submission. That's just concurrence is all that is. Submission by nature is when I have to submit to something I don't agree with. You think about obeying the commandments of God. How many of the commandments of God does your flesh desire to obey? I said your flesh, not yourself. Your flesh. And I don't know. The answer is probably somewhere close to zero. Because the flesh, it, it doesn't mind the things of God. The spirit craves those things. And oftentimes, even though the spirit desires to do the will of God, the flesh ends up causing us to not do the will of God because that's our battle submission is a battle of the mind it's a battle of the intellect and and I think sometimes we miss the heart of submission because we think it's about situational ethics and we don't have time to talk about every every situation what we're going to talk about is the principle that will hopefully guide those different situations but even the teachings that Jesus gave I think we sometimes think they're just about the situation like, for instance, if someone slaps us, what do you do? Well, you slap them back, obviously, right? I mean, isn't that our reflex? Isn't that the way we're wired? I mean, you see that in kids all the time at school. The first time somebody hits you, uh, you want to hit them back. Well, y'all may not know this, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you about how dumb I am here. But, and I hope Monty remembers it, but one day Monty and I were outside at Raiden playing basketball on the blacktop out there, and he kept bumping me, and you know, he's a lot bigger than me, and I finally got mad, and I hit him. You know what he did? He looked at me, and I thought, oh, this is about to get really bad. And he just started playing again, and I thought, I think I just escaped my death. <laughs> it had nothing to do with me. I was an idiot. Monty, I don't know what, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he's thinking I, I, I'd kill him if I hit him, but that's, that's very rare to have someone do that. It's a moment in my life that I remember vividly because it's so uncommon for someone to get hit and do nothing. 
And Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Think about your reflexes for a moment. You know, I'm ticklish right here. Kennedy is too. So here's some ammo. If Van will walk through and he'll sneak up on me and he'll poke me real hard in the side. Every time I do this, I, it's, I don't have time to stop and go, okay, number one, let's assess the threat. Secondly, let's identify the threat. And thirdly, let's determine the correct course of action. There's not any time for all that. It's just a reflex. You don't have time to think about it. You're just wired that way, so you react. Well, now I typically know it's him, and so I try to take off running, and he's faster than me, so I can't catch him. But, but, but that's how our reflexes work. And this is our reflex, okay? Somebody hits us, what do we do? We resist. We range ourselves against them. What did Jesus say to do? Submit. That's what turn the other cheek is. It's an act of humble submission. Why? Because Jesus is trying to tell us you need to change your reflex. You know how you do that? You change your mindset. You've got to change the way you think about life. You've got to change the way you look at yourself and what you deserve and what you think your rights are and what you think you deserve is very different from what you really deserve. What did Jesus do when they slapped him? He turned the other cheek. Could we really do that though? That's my question. Could we really turn the other cheek? I don't remember in my adult life someone actually slapping me. I don't remember that. What would I do? Well, let's just create some type of testing ground, shall we? My clicker's not working for some. There we go. That you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So, I want us to think about something for a moment. And maybe you don't have social media, and so it doesn't even pertain to you, but it'll pertain to you in real life. But even on social media, someone says something you disagree with. What do you do? You just let it go? Or do you think, oh, no, I can't let that go. I, I've, got, I've got to resist. And you know what I hear sometimes is, hey, did you see what this person put on Facebook the other day? And then I said this, and man, I really put them in their place. You see the opposite of that? I put them in their place. See, that's backwards. That's backwards. No, I don't put people in their place. I put me in my place. And when we put people in their place, we got out of place, is what we did. It happens everywhere, not just on social media. It happens at the supermarket. It happens when I'm driving down the, the road, and I have to roll down the window so they hear what I'm about to say because they cut me off. Our reflex is to resist. Jesus says, change your reflex. What does it hurt us to just mind our own business? Somebody says something we disagree with. I'm not saying don't defend the truth. I'm saying you need to pick your battles. And if we're defending the truth of the word of God, I'll tell you something, social media is really not the best place to have a disagreement and an argument. And it doesn't even have to be an argument, even if it's a disagreement. And you can still do that with a humble and submissive attitude. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, going back to this 
teaching that Jesus was giving in the Sermon on the Mount, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Again, what's our reflex here? Somebody takes something from us. Give that back, that's mine. What if they don't? We resist. What is Jesus saying? It's just stuff. It's just stuff. Let them have it. Not let them have it, but let them have your stuff. What if somebody wants you to do something you don't feel like doing? Well, I've got the right to not do that. Jesus said, no, go with them two miles. What's our reflex? To do the bare minimum. To be irritated when someone asks us to do something. And then we do it with a bad attitude. And we make sure they know that we have a bad attitude about what we're doing. Because we didn't want to do it in the first place. And I'll tell you what that is. That's the mind of us, not the mind of Christ. You think Jesus wanted to carry the cross to Golgotha? You think he wanted to stand there naked with his hands tied above his head while people beat him? And I'll tell you something about Jesus. He had all power and authority. And they should have submitted to him. But he submitted to them. For your sake. He's asked us to do what he has done. Listen to what 1 Peter says about that. For this, to this, you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. What steps should we follow? Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But committed, to him, committed himself to him who judges righteously. You know why Jesus submitted himself? Because here's what he had in view. This is a moment, and God is forever. And God will judge righteously. And any time that you think about seeking vengeance against someone, I want you to remember what Jesus did. Because if anybody ever had the right to judicially seek vengeance, it was Jesus Christ. But what did he do? Committed himself to God and God's judgment. He suffered but he didn't resist. He didn't threaten. He didn't use violence. He was submissive. That's what he's, that's, he said, that's what you're called to. Romans chapter 12, 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Now listen to verse 18. This is big, okay? If it be possible, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Why is the phrase, if it be possible, there? Because sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you can be humble, quiet, kind, and it doesn't matter. Someone still wants to fight. But you do everything you can do to be a peacemaker. You do everything you can do to be submissive and live peaceably with all Men, look at verse 19. This sounds a lot like 1 Peter 2 that we just read. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not our right to seek vengeance, and I'll tell you why. We think sometimes vengeance is about justice. You watch those movies, don't you? You've seen them. I'm sure you've seen some of them. You know, where the guy 
where these bad guys come in and kill someone's family and so he goes on this crusade and turns into a vigilante and gets all of his ammo and he goes and kills every one of them and we're right there agging him along as a hero. And we think, justice, that's justice right. No, it's not. I'll tell you what that is. That's emotional. That's all it is. And that's human vengeance. Revenge is not about justice. It's about emotion. God's justice is logic. Our justice, when it's personal, is all about emotion. That doesn't belong to us. That's God's right and God's right alone to seek vengeance. Is there a time to resist? Yes, there is. There's a time to resist. Right here in Acts chapter 5, I'll tell you what Peter and John did. They resisted. These men came in and they told them, don't you preach Jesus anymore. And Peter said, we'll do what God said. And I'll tell you, that's the time to resist. When someone tries to make you, force you into doing something that God has said not to do, you resist. You do what God said. But here's the real tricky part of it. There's a way to resist. There's a way to resist. And it might be different from the way we might think. I want to think about the prophet Daniel for just a moment. Daniel was thrust into a political situation he did not want to be in. And was under a king that was going to force him into a position in his authority that he really didn't want to be in. But they decided that they were going to do it. And so here was what they did. They, they would take them and set them aside for three years. That's a long time. Three years and they would train them for the king's service. They'd educate them and they'd feed them a certain way. And one of the things they did was make them eat the same foods that the king would eat. Because they're going to be around the king. And Daniel was not going to do that. Because the king's delicacies, as they're called, were things that were unlawful for him and his contemporaries to eat. And so David, or David, Daniel was going to resist. And he'd already made up his mind. I want you to notice that. Daniel chapter 1.8 but Daniel purposed in his heart. That literally means he made up his mind. He's already decided what he's going to do. He made up his mind he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Here's the thing about Daniel. Daniel made up his mind, but he didn't tell them that. He didn't walk up to the, the chief of the eunuchs and say, I'm going to tell you what, buddy. I'll tell you this right now. You try to make me eat that, we'll fight. Uh, you just try to make me eat that. He didn't do that. Now, was he going to eat it? No. He'd already made up his mind. But what did he do? He requested. He asked. Why? Because this guy has authority over him. And he's doing as much as lies within him to be peaceable in this situation. So he asked that he might not defile himself. And then he comes up with this plan. He says, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. Now, he was very wise in the way he handled this. Because what's 10 days out of three years, okay? Okay, whatever. Go eat vegetables for 10 days. You're probably going to end up eating the king's delicacies anyway. That's probably what the, the prince of the eunuchs is thinking. But this is risky. If you think about it, this is very risky for Daniel to do this. But why was he willing to take that risk? 
because he had trust in God. Now, it, this wasn't about Daniel. It wasn't about him trusting himself. And it, he wasn't trying to resist this guy's authority. In humble submission, he asked this guy, look, just test us. And you know what happened? He didn't have to defile himself with the king's delicacies. And no fight ever happened. Now, I want to ask a what if question. What if the guy had come out after 10 days and said, nope, you guys look puny, you're eating the king's delicacies. What do you think Daniel would have done? He'd have died for his faith. That's what he'd have done. He said, well, why would you assume that he would do that? Because he did it later in life when another king came along and they said, nobody is to pray to any god but this god. And what did Daniel do? He prayed. You know what they did? They threw him in the lion's den. He didn't resist. He lived a life of humble submission, but his, his humility and submission were first toward God. You know, another man that resisted was the Apostle Paul. And Paul was accused of starting a riot, and you might remember this situation where this centurion takes Paul and he binds him. And they're about to punish Paul. And by punish, I mean they're about to beat him with whips. And if you go back and read the story, this is a very interesting story. Paul just first appeals to his legal right. Here's what he says. Is it lawful? That's his question. Is it lawful for you to beat or examine a citizen of Rome when he hasn't been tried and found guilty? And immediately the centurion goes, you're a citizen of Rome? Get those cuss off of him. <laughs> they, they don't want anything to do with that. So was it okay for him to appeal to his legal right? Apparently, or he wouldn't have done it. So that was the first thing he did. Well, how did he do it? Same way Daniel did. You know what Paul didn't do? Paul didn't sit there while he was handcuffed and start counting the soldiers and go, okay, one, two, three. Okay, if that guy gets close enough, I can probably pull his sword out of his sheath and I can cut down that guy and then this guy and then... I know, that's, that's the movies we watch. But you've got to get that out of your mind because that's not heroes of Scripture. They may paint these guys as heroes out there, that, that, but this is not the way that they interacted with people. What do you think would have happened if they wouldn't have taken the cuffs off? What would have happened to Paul? They'd have beat him, and he'd have taken the beating. You know how I know that? Go read 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, Five times I received 40 stripes, save one. He'd already had the beatings, several beatings. It didn't mean he wanted them or wanted another one. He got out of this one. How did he do it? He used wisdom. He resisted, but he did so in humility. Now, if you would grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to finish our study over here in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Who is Peter writing to? He's writing to the church. He is writing to saints. He's writing to Christians. And there are several things, especially in these first few verses, that I want you to notice because these are things that he says to identify them. 
He tells them their identity. And I want you to really pay close attention to this. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice but as bond servants of God then he goes on to say honor all people love the brotherhood fear God honor the king servants be submissive servants be submissive notice that he brought them to a point in their minds where he could tell them to be submissive and what did he lead them to that point with he told them who they were he told them who they belonged to He said, you're a chosen generation. You're a kingdom of priests. You're a holy nation. America is not the holy nation. I hope you know that. The church is the holy nation of God. And you're a part of that. You're a citizen in that. He said, you're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You don't belong here. We sing that song, this world is not our home. Do we believe it? He says, and because you're pilgrims and strangers, I want want to tell you something. Abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Don't go to the war of the world. Don't fight the wrong battle. Know the battle you're fighting. Because you don't belong here. And then he says this. By doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You want to silence the scorner, the scoffer? Live and do the right thing. And it'll silence them. I'll tell you what our problem is. You know, the way God designed our eyes, there's what's inside of what's called our focal point. And everything inside of our focal point is very clear and very vivid. And then right outside of that, if you're just looking straight ahead, right outside of that, this is another area that's somewhat in the periphery, but still a little bit in the focal point, so it's kind of a middle ground. Then there's this out here that's called the peripheral. And things in the peripheral, you can see it. Mine is probably somewhere around 170, so if I look straight ahead, I can see my fingers. And if you said, well, what's going on out there? Well, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I know they're fingers. But if you said something like, well, how many spots do you have on your left hand? Well, what do I have to do? I have to bring that into the focal point. You say, Ian, what's your point? I'll tell you what my point is. When we wake up every day and we are angry about what's going on in America, and we stay angry all day and our mind is constantly thinking about what's going on in America and what's going on in Washington, D.C., I'm going to tell you what's going on. The world is in our focal point and God is in the peripheral. And you need to take God out of the peripheral and put him back in the focal point. 
Look, when God's in the focal point, I can still see what's going on in the peripheral. I know what's going on in the world. The apostles knew what was going on in the world. His disciples knew what was happening around them. But that wasn't the focus of their life. And when something's in the focus of your life, it shapes the way you think, it shapes your peace, it gives you either joy or misery, and if it's God, you're going to have peace. If it's the world, I'm going to tell you, friends, you're going to have a hard time. Because if the world's here, God is here. If the world's here, it doesn't shape me. But that's the truth about God, too. If the world's in our focus, God's in the peripheral, and He's not shaping and conforming me. So take God out of the periphery and put him back in your focus. You belong to him. You've been purchased by him. And my mission is not to bring about political reform in Washington, D.C. That's not what God's called us to do. God has called us to rescue the souls of men through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's called you to do. And he's called you as a holy nation and his own special people to glorify him by submitting in humble submission to his will. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.